0: Here's a reflection from Auxiliary Bishop Timothy Fryer of the Diocese of Orange in Southern California.
1: There are times that for some of us these days may feel overwhelming, that we're nervous, we're afraid, we don't know if we'll have money for a rent or a mortgage or even food on the table. Others of us just don't know how to deal with a situation that's completely out of our control. I was talking to a friend and he was saying that he thinks part of the reason why people are hoarding toilet paper and facial tissue is because it's a way of saying, I've got control of something in my life. In these dark times, in these difficult times, in these challenging times, Christ gives us hope that Christ's people have gone through sufferings before and Christ has always been able to bring us out through them. We'll find our lives maybe a little uncomfortable. We'll find our lives maybe a little bit changed for the better at the end of all this. Maybe we'll develop habits of praying together as a family or spending time with a family member, of being kinder, softer, and gentler toward one another. The Lord has triumphed. The battle's already won. That's what we're celebrating these Easter days. So when you start to feel despair, reach out to Christ, who has triumphed over sin and death, who has triumphed over sickness and suffering, and unite your sufferings to His. He'll transform them and give you hope in the midst of these uncertain days. Please know that I continue to pray for you that you'll have that joy, that peace, and that hope that Christ can give.
0: For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. Or visit the Diocese of Orange Facebook page. Be Not Afraid by Deacon Steve Greco. In a state of lockdown, staying indoors to help flatten the curve. COVID-19, the worldwide pandemic. Fear has overcome so many, Christians and non-believers alike. Let's face it, our life on planet Earth is short. There is no question that we are in a unique time in our history. There is good news, though. Be Not Afraid by Deacon Steve Greco. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over the coronavirus and everything else for that matter. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Deacon Steve says, Instead of seeing this as a time of inconvenience and pain, see it as a new chapter in which God is showering us with a new wineskin of blessings. Be Not Afraid is the brand new book by Deacon Steve Greco. Get your copy today by visiting the website SpiritFilledHearts.org. That's SpiritFilledHearts.org. SpiritFilledHearts.org. Available soon. Reserve your copy today. Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM-1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM-930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio, from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral. Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick.
2: And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is our good Bishop Kevin Van. Bishop, welcome back to our program. Thank you. Actually, welcome to your program. And if you would be so kind as to open us with a word of prayer, I think we would all be very thankful. In
3: the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the blessings of this new day. Each day is a sign of hope, a new life for us. Bless us in these Easter days. Keep us close to you always, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the, name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Amen. And while we have you here, just to start with, how are things going in the diocese? We're now in the third week of Easter, and our parishes have had their doors mostly closed. What's the state of the diocese? How are we doing?
3: Well, it depends on what you mean by doors mostly closed, because our parish priests, our ministers, and the parish offices really are very active in outreach to those in need. I mean, they really are. They're making lots of calls. They're going out. So, I mean, all that is good. It's really living the gospel, you know.
2: So in our diocese right now, when we say the doors are closed, when I said the doors were closed, I stand corrected, we don't have our masses going on. And that's the thing I think a lot of our parishioners see the most.
3: No, we have masses going on they mass, their private masses that are live streamed.
2: And that's important for our people to understand that the mass itself isn't just for the individual to take part in. Right. In fact, I was looking at one of your recent videos that you have on com. That
3: was probably last week.
2: Uh, probably. But the, the video basically made the point that we are the body of Christ and the body of Christ offering masses, offering it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And therefore, even if you can't partake in it. You are a member of that body. Right.
3: Let me give you a couple examples. For example, two weeks ago, Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, I went over to Macarthur Parish in Santa Ana, which is a huge Hispanic parish. It's 100% Hispanic. Uh, they had had a challenging Lent because that was the place where they had a shooting in the church. Yeah. I think you probably remember that. Absolutely. So I, I I spent quite a bit of time with the parish at that particular time in Lent, and and we had a mass of uh, like uh, reparation for that because because of what happened. So I knew the folks there pretty well, and they're, par- they're four parish priests, and they all work very hard there. So this past Divine Mercy Sunday, they took the Blessed Sacrament in a jeep uh, with one of the priests holding the Blessed Sacrament, and I rode with them, and then a couple of my security detail behind and some other folks. And so we drove through, uh, they say, around the border of uh, Maggahar and Mary Parish, and with the Blessed Sacrament. And so there were folks on the curb in front of their homes, Praying, throwing confetti, ringing bells, uh, clapping, singing Viva Cristo Rey, all those kind of things. So, I mean, that really is out there. So we did that. I did that, for example.
2: I think that there's a, a real hunger. And I think what you just described is um, kind of the, the a peak of an iceberg, so to speak, of people that are out there who want to have the embrace that they are so familiar with. that they, I think they long and they miss.
3: See, I wonder if human nature being was, we, we took all that for granted. Yeah. Do you know?
2: In a way, it could, I hate to call it a blessing, but there are silver linings behind.
3: Well, as as St. Paul would say, all things work to the good for those who love God.
2: So perhaps this is a time where amongst other problems and pains and sufferings, we may also learn to appreciate a little more of what we have had.
3: Yeah, let Let me give you an example. I think this ties into this. You know, I left Illinois 15 years ago now and was in Texas and then here. And so I tried to get back as often as I could to see my mother and father. And so I would sit at dinner table with them and they were getting on in years. And my mother would say, because they both had health problems, my mother would say, and my mother was a nurse, well, Bill, you know we're in bad shape. And he goes, Mother, just be grateful you have another day. So, in the midst of this challenging, what do we look at? We have God's given us another day. There was a tour guide in Rome years ago. Uh, I kind of knew him. He said, when you go to Rome... Do you look up at the skies? Do you look up at the angels and the saints in the churches? Or do, you, do you look down at the Roman streets, which are always a challenge? Well, you always look up. So what is God giving us today uh, to serve him, to love him, and to do where we are? One of my favorite prayers is the serenity prayer. God, grant me the wisdom to accept the things that cannot change, courage to change the things that can, and wisdom know the difference. So I, I, I try to pray that every day.
2: I think a lot of our parishioners also are dealing with um all of the daily stresses that have come. This has been a, a Lent like no other in our lifetime, I think, where we have had to deal with being away from the sacraments while we've watched people get sick and die and worry that perhaps our own family members might be next. And this has been a time I know that you've watched people in the parish get sick and you've heard the stories. And you've experienced the phone calls, and you know what it is to feel that pain. Tell us a little bit about what what would be on your mind that you'd like to share with your parishioners about this time that we just went through.
3: Well, I used to think of, you know, we all have had our lengths where we've given up X, Y, or Z, you uh-huh. know, and I'm not so sure I or we ever took it really very seriously. I remember in one place there was a, a party on. Holy Saturday night, back to the vigil. And these were all friends of mine. And they'd given up candy and cookies and all those kind of things. Well, what they did on Easter Saturday night, they had a party and had all this stuff that they had given up. So the thing I've said about our Lenten practices is how do they make a concrete difference in your life and in my life? And so, you know, we didn't have to really pick up a superficial penance this year. I mean, there it was.
2: God picked it for us. God
3: picked it for us.
2: So we had to deal. We we gave up Eucharist for Lent. Yes, and we are hopefully now far more appreciative.
3: And I think Pope Benedict XVI would talk about a yearning for the Eucharist. So mm-hmm. I believe that's one thing we can learn and pray through this. You know,
2: yeah. I, one of the things that really strikes me about um, any time we go through Lent is that this is supposed to be a time when we think about the sufferings of Christ, and yet, as as you just reminded us, most of us give up chocolate or or cookies or. Television, or, or right, some and then other... find
3: ways to not do it all the time. For example, oh, I don't have to do this on Sunday. Is that right?
2: <laughs> we have the, we have Sundays off. After all, there's only forty days of lead. There's <laughs> don't count Sundays. But this year was a time when we actually got to contemplate a little bit more about the sufferings of Christ. I know. For example, uh, there was a a number of programs that came on that were talking about the Shroud of Turin. Regardless of what people think about the actual science behind the Shroud, what was interesting about it was the focus on the sufferings that are in that icon and that that icon is one of a man who has suffered and died for our sins or suffered and died. We assume it was by Christ and therefore for our sins. What does that actually mean? Well, we finally get a little bit of a taste of it. Well,
3: I think that has been a, a theoretical concept for many of us, you know, intellectual concept. Yeah. And maybe if we go to the stations across, we can feel a little bit. But I think I believe this year is a, is a, is a chance for us to really uh, take it seriously.
2: So as we went through Lent and as you were dealing with some of the the big decisions you've had to make, the, the biggest one I assume is was the decision you and all the bishops made to close down public participation in the physical masses. Uh, what was that like for you?
3: Well, you know, I two things. I don't make those decisions on my own. You have to be consistent with your neighbors up and down the state of California though. You North know, another southern province of LA, another province of San Francisco. So those decisions came about after uh, really gathering together as the California Catholic Conference. And we have a weekly phone call. Uh, I'm the vice president of the California Catholic Conference. Bishop Macquarie is not the president, Bishop Cantu. In San Jose is as, as a secretary-treasurer. So we do all those things together, and I have to say, I'm really grateful to be able to, to work with him because we have to be consistent as much as we can across, up and down the state. You know, now we had our initial decisions. We all pulled back on some things in the liturgy, like communion about species and no sign of peace. We did all those things right away. But when it became clear that it was really getting worse, then... Many of us made a decision just to keep more distance, and then, and then I, we all gave dispensations if folks were very concerned not to have to worry, come come to mass. But it was churches were still open, and so we did, you know. But then it really got where we really needed to do that, so we, we did this together.
2: Yet even doing it together, as the bishop of Orange, the person who's in charge, and therefore also the spiritual father to all the people that are here, it had to hit you.
3: Sure it did, but just let me tell you about my father again. My father always said you have to do the right thing.
2: It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, Father.
3: <laughs> but it means, no, I have to have a peace of conscience that I've done the right thing. Yeah. And I didn't lose any sleep over this. Okay. Because also, you know, the great commandment, love, love your Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. Yes. And not loving your neighbor as yourself means that you don't want to be a vector for this.
2: I, I just, I go back to Jesus saying, not my will, but thy will be done. He still didn't want to do it, but he wanted to do it.
3: But my father always did the right thing. <laughs> he did the, right, the right thing. And the right thing is never easy, but I did it. Yes, he did. And, you know, one I've said this a number of times in various discussions. I'm fortunate to have had some science background. Mm-hmm. I was a medical technologist. So that means, of course, is in epidemiology and microbiology and the like. And I have some sense of how these things spread. So I'm grateful I had that background because I have know what could happen. Yeah. I don't want the Diocese of Orange or folks in the Diocese of Orange to be vehicles by which they they themselves get sick and then they spread this. You know, you've seen what's happening up and down the West Coast, for example, or in New York.
2: No, I think most of us who were looking at this coming to Korea back a month and a half ago. I think most of us were looking at that and saying, it's going to come here, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And as you and I were talking privately earlier how many of the people that are assisting at Mass are, frankly, of an age that they really can't get this? This is not the age where you want to be able to get this. For a lot of the people who are at daily Mass, who are going to be the, the ones who are helping out, the ones who are most likely, therefore, to be exposed, you can love the Mass and love the, the uh, Eucharist, but are you willing to, to kill for it?
3: Well, is it about, it's about love of God and love of neighbor? Yeah. That's what the Eucharist is.
2: Yeah. And if it's of a love of neighbor, then my wanting the Eucharist cannot possibly be at the expense of someone else suffering and perhaps even dying.
3: Yeah. And then somebody else mentioned me the other day, and, I, you know, first of, course, first of all, I'm with that age group that that could be more vulnerable and I'm diabetic besides, so I really have to... Don't
2: get it. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't get it, Bishop. <laughs> so, I mean, I know, so,
3: I mean, I stay home a lot. Yeah. But someone was complaining to me about having to stay home, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we can still go to the grocery store. We have food. I hear you. I said, but let me ask you why don't you reread the diary of Anne Frank? Mm-hmm. Reread that and see yeah. what they had to do in yeah. an attic in Amsterdam. Yeah. So I think we always need, it's not that I'm un- unempathetic, but we have to have a perspective on things. And, you know, it's how do we react to the uh, things the Lord and his providence comes come our way, you know?
2: This has indeed been a, an, a, um, a Lent that's... Um, going to be unlike any of the other lens, I hope, any way that we will ever have in our lifetime. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about how this has also become a unique Easter, um, although interestingly similar in some ways to the very first Easter where they were alone, waiting, scared in their rooms, sure, 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 sure. not expecting the resurrection. We are talking with Bishop Kevin Van, our diocesan bishop here at the Diocese of Orange high atop the Tower of Hope. And when we come back, we will talk about the season of Easter. We'll be right back.
0: A message from Father Scott Borgman, Judicial Vicar of the Diocese of Orange.
4: The source of Judas' infidelity unfolds in a series of little concessions day after day. Just a bunch of small alliances with sin, if you will, which gradually build up into the single greatest act of betrayal in human history. This Easter season, dear friends, is all about personal context. We're spending a few moments in this quarantine away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And you've got to ask yourself two questions. What is the state of my soul? Am I enthusiastic, sad, anxious? What am I carrying inside me right now? Speak to our Lord about that. And secondly, how do I want to come out of this quarantine? Because soon, please God, this will all be over and we will be back to our normal life. But how did we spend this time? How did we make use of these hours and moments to finish with a spirit of generosity? All of this quarantine season depends on these two questions. What is the state of my soul? And how do I want to come out of this quarantine. Let us invest in this time to be with our Lord, to be with family, with those around you. Perhaps Jesus is actually orchestrating this because God does have a plan and Jesus might be saying to you, come away with me for a while.
0: For more go to OCCatholic.com that's OCCatholic.com or visit the Diocese of Orange Facebook page
2: welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Bishop Kevin Van. And Bishop, again, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing this time with us. We were talking in the very first segment about the Lent that we just went through and how it, it may actually in some ways serve a purpose by God to remind us of what it is we truly actually have and how we can be more appreciative of it. We have moved into Easter, and Jesus Christ is risen, hallelujah, and we are in an Easter that is under the circumstances that we also have not really encountered before. How has Easter struck you as bishop of this diocese? What things have stood out for you so far as we've begun this Easter season?
3: Well, let me start with the chrism mass that we celebrated you know we're we're celebrating all our sacraments and masses but we're doing them live stream from here well that includes even big celebrations like the chrism mass so we had it live streamed here now I think it was Monday of Holy Week now if you remember that week leading up to it we had lots and lots of rain and you know we're grateful for that believe me I mean you can see the snow in the mountains that'll last mm-hmm. us a long time so that's a blessing there but it's it was not kind of dark and dingy well it was dark and overcast well we came out of the chrism mass lo and behold, the sun was shining, and there was a rain—a full arc rainbow here. <laughs> so, I mean, that's symbolic to me of the, of, uh, you know, that the Lord was leading us through this. Uh, that was his light, you know. And if you read all of the uh, Easter readings, the resurrection and following, what is this thing that Jesus always said? Well, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And if you that's the message of Lady Guadalupe, by the way, to Juan Diego. So I think that's... We take that with us and that and the Lord speaks to us, especially through the rings that do not be afraid. And then we think of what, uh, father, uh, Sarah said, you know, sempre adelante, you go ahead a day at a time.
2: Well, and the, it, we sometimes kind of, uh, skip out on Triduum. It's a, the smallest, the shortest of the seasons, but it's a full season. This year was, was, uh, very interesting because silent Saturday was truly silent. It was, yeah. And we were, um, all sitting and waiting with anticipation
3: Yeah, you have the homily on Easter Saturday morning, a great silence has settled over the world and that kind of thing. And when we're looking at the silence, the people who were there
2: that first Holy Saturday, I I don't know that any of them truly, really believed at that moment that Christ was going to resurrect from the dead.
3: Well, they probably didn't know. They were gathered in fear, probably.
2: I think they were scared to death. They they just saw their leader crucified. Uh, The crowd could easily be coming after them. We find out later in the book of Acts that, of course, they do in some ways, but mostly to to just keep them silent. But nevertheless, this was a time that was like no other. This year you've got the possibilities of uh, resurrection in different ways. I see coming up here with the talk of reopening uh, both a joy but an apprehension. I know that the state of California has said that they want to try to reopen in several weeks. They're not in as much a hurry as some other states might be. What are your thoughts about Easter and hope And reopening, are we rushing things by thinking that way? Are we being selfish and greedy in in looking at that way?
3: I think we have to, as I've said many times, Lord, give me the grace to do this one day at a time. And, you know, California is not like some of these other states that are making a lot of noise. We have people from all over the world coming through here, you know, and life will never be the same. We can't go back to the way we were, and it means reopening probably gradually, but you just... Do it as it comes along. Do the best. You know, we're, the California bishops are talking about that. Now, you know, I have a staff meeting every morning at 10, 10 in the morning. We're talking about all that. It's just going to be, it can't open the gates come one, come all. You can't do that because this is contagious. and You have to have concern for the neighbor. Mm-hmm. I'm really adamant about all these things.
2: Well, and when we're looking at the peak, so to speak, they're talking, they, they talk a lot about the peak and how the peak needs to be reached and we need to be on the other side of the peak. All that really is saying is that we've slowed down the number of people who are catching the virus. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been eliminated. They're still catching it.
3: Well, look what happened in Hokkaido in Japan. Did you see that? They opened it all up again. And now they have a worse infection. That's why you have to be deliberate and gradual in this.
2: My understanding is in 1918, when they reached the fall and reopened things back up, the cities that did that, actually, I guess it was the spring because they started in the fall. The spring, when they opened things back up, uh, they had... What was it, St. Patrick's Day or something like that? And as you were saying, one of the cities opened and one of the cities didn't.
3: I think that's New York versus Philadelphia. I think it was. I mean, let me talk about that because I'm fortunate to have been close to two generations. My grandparents talked about the, 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 that flu and the First yeah. World War because they remembered that. And, yes, I think it was New York that did not – Close Philadelphia did, and the death toll in New York was horrendous for St. Pat- you know because that's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, and also I think if you look and see that I believe Colonel Gibbons shut everything down in Baltimore at that particular time. Mm-hmm. And I can only, I can go back to Charles Borromeo and because he took care yeah. of play victims, he shot Milan down. Yeah. I think we are we need a better sense of history sometimes. <laughs>
2: So when we're looking at the joys of Easter, we're not necessarily looking at reopening. That's a rather secular mentality, almost a selfish way of looking at what it is that we need to do in order to embrace more of our life again. Our life really is not experienced in our resumes. It's not really experienced in what we do for a living. It's not really experienced out there. Yet we want our lives back. What do you say to people who are at the, they're, they're tired what do you do with the 35 year old mom who's got um, tweens and teens who are at home and chomping at the bit? What's the message to them now that we're seven weeks into it and going on week number eight? And as you say, one day at a time, it still, it begins to, to build
3: up. Uh, that's so, still the message. Yeah. You can't live life looking way ahead. You know, okay. What's God giving me this day and how can I respond and how can I find the strength I need just for today?
2: And how do we at least prepare something perhaps for um, peanut butter sandwiches tomorrow?
3: Yeah, and, basically, uh, yeah. And
2: make sure that we get through.
3: I mean, I know it wasn't the plague and all that, but I just remember my own parents, you know, life was never easy for them. They balanced multiple things, multiple kids, multiple obligations. And we were all in the house a lot of times, but it wasn't like this. But nonetheless, we just can't look too far down the road, but know that God will see us through and give us the strength that we need.
2: The idea of resurrection is that christ is is with us now forever. Those of us who are not able to partake in the sacraments themselves but take spiritual communion. what advice can you give to us? You're part of clergy, you're able to take part in daily mass. I'm assuming that you just came from mass not long ago mm-hmm. uh, so you have had the privilege of being able to participate. Those of us who haven 't even though we 're part of the body of Christ and therefore are sustained by the body of Christ, nevertheless we still we, we miss it, other than saying that well it's one day at a time, what can you say for the spiritual edification well
3: i 'm not so sure that we thought much about spiritual communion in recent years. I was taught it thankfully by the Dominican sisters, and the church would say it's equally it's equal presence of Christ in our lives. He comes into our lives. Well, then let's talk about that. How, how
2: can we make the most of the spiritual communion that's available to us?
3: You, you, you take that prayer and you say it every day, and especially with live stream masses, watch live stream masses, and then pray that prayer at the same time. Or we also hear, you know, we have uh, we put on an exposition to bless the sacrament every day, mm-hmm. except for days we have funerals. So I've had folks pray that prayer, and they sit in front of the TV or the, or the computer and, and see the presence of the Lord in the the sacrament and to do that.
2: I know that there are some people who have difficulty getting over the electronic nature of trying to look at the sacrament on TV and imagine that that's really the sacrament.
3: But what other choice do we have?
2: Well, I would ask the question, is it not what an icon is? An icon is. isn't the real thing. An
3: icon is an image, exactly. Yeah. And, and An image, in fact, that really is considered divine, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and also some of our parishes have put the Blessed Siren where people can drive by and see it as well. You know, St. Vincent de Paul I think did that.
2: Yeah, w- which was a brilliant thing to be able to do. One of the things that strikes me, especially for those people who really would like to take part in Mass, is that there are a number of Masses that, as you said, they're being live streamed. Oh, just...
3: they, they, they've multiplied all over the diocese
2: and it's and all over the world. I mean, we've had you, you broadcast on EWTN uh, Easter Vigil, as I recall which, again, people throughout the world were able to partake in that uh, live. And one of the things that strikes me is that if it's going on live, God is not limited by the physical right. location where you're at. If you're at one with the people in that mass, what does it matter that you're a 100, a 1,000 miles away, you're still at that mass? Are you not?
3: You are. I mean, it really is another facet of, of communion, you know, a spiritual communion, communion together, you know.
2: Which means that when that mass is going on, especially for people who okay, i don 't want to see an instant replay i don 't want to see the the tape version, I want the live real deal because I want to participate, you really can 't participate we 've got people every week that go into the cry rooms for a number of our of our masses they 've got windows in between are they not to participate they, in surely mass? Are. they surely are they surely are so if they can do it behind a glass, why can 't we do it at the same time as taking place? Yeah. you know, what a time delay i 'm looking at my technical director about five seconds, baby. <laughs> If you know the Mass well, you know what's coming up. So pray that that forgiveness is for you as well. So when we're looking at what's available to us out there right now, both on EWTN-type television and on relevant radio and on our Internet and live streams and all of the different resources that we have, the ability for us to then link into the spiritual communion is greater than ever before what would be for you some of the things that people should be able to do in order to best prepare for that? Is it the same as preparing for Mass?
3: That's a good question because I'm not so sure, given the society we live in, we think much about preparing for Mass. We just come and we show up. We don't even have the three-hour fast anymore, you know, a one-hour fast, which isn't always even looked at. Anyway, I think every day we have to stop and think, okay, how do I prepare to meet the Lord today? What's he calling me to because in one sense, we have a little more time and space than we used to. So how are we going to use that where we are now? How am I going to learn from this, you know? Uh, while it's true, I'm able to celebrate Mass with a handful of people. Nonetheless, for a parish priest, it's very different now because we're used to being in contact and communion and relationship with all kinds of people. So that's, that's something that we miss. It's very different.
2: Well, and I noticed that um, the priests that are doing these, you can kind of tell... They miss, it's almost like a drumbeat. They miss this cadence that the people bring to them yeah, right? because yeah. there's a certain rhythm that everyone brings when they're participating in the mass as well. Yeah. And that's got to be something that really throws a lot of priests off. I know there are some priests around the country who've taken to putting up uh, representative photographs of some of their pews to remind them at least of yeah, the yeah. yeah. people no, that I've are there. That's
3: clever. Yeah, I,
2: Even if it really doesn't do a whole lot for the individual priests going out there, the people who've seen the photographs, I think, have been touched by it. Yeah. We're talking with Bishop Kevin Van, and we've been discussing what it's been like for all of us, including Bishop Van, to go through this unique time of Lent and Triduum and Easter. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Easter and um, preparing for the upcoming of Pentecost and how we can best participate with the rest of the church in the, the spiritual graces
0: that this offers us. And we will be right back. Have you heard Father Christopher Smith and the Cathedral Square radio show? Here's a soundbite with recent guest Greg Walgenbach from the Office of Life, Justice, and Peace at the Diocese of Orange. And when we're divided ourselves as well, I think that hurts our witness to Jesus.
3: Oh, it does. And it's hard to witness sometimes with some of the attitudes of the world today. I was thinking about it just this last week about Jesus, love your enemies. I remember one time I was giving a talk and mentioned a little bit about that. And then after this talk, this person came up to me and she said, Father, that was just a great talk. I loved your talk. It was just wonderful. There's just one thing I disagreed with. And I said, well, what was that? She said, you know what, that love your enemies part, I just don't agree with that. (laughs) And I said, not my material. (laughs) That was Jesus talking, you know, always to kind of, as that same passage says, to go the extra mile.
0: Yeah, and it's so easy to forget. And And it's very easy to, in the process of trying to fight for human dignity, whether it's for the unborn or for the migrant or for homeless or for whoever, to then diminish the dignity of somebody that I'm trying to work with or some, if I'm sitting across from a legislator and I can diminish their dignity, or I'm talking to a fellow parishioner who has a very different viewpoint than I do on this topic and I can diminish their, so how do we respect the dignity of, of one another, even when we have significant disagreements, that's a conversation that matters too, because we're called to protect human dignity at at all stages, including the stage of right now where we're two people talking to each other. Exactly. Catch Cathedral Square, Saturday mornings at 10 on Relevant Radio. Or download the podcast at OCCatholic.com slash radio. That's OCCatholic.com slash radio.
2: And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. And clarifying all of that for us today is our own Bishop Kevin Van. And again, Bishop Van, we thank you for coming in and talking with us a little bit about what it's been like to go through this set of seasons that are so central to our faith and yet have been so different during this time. We were talking during the break a little bit about some of the, the unique needs that some of our... Um, some of our frontline people have, and I know that you have gone along with, uh, Bishop, what
3: was the other Bishop that went with you? Bishop Tim Fryer, Bishop Fryer.
2: Bishop Fryer went with you, but you went to, you went to separate buildings together.
3: Well, no, yeah, we went, uh. Um, Different hospitals. We said I went to the hospital, because he's in the board of, of St. Jude's in Fullerton, and St. Joe's being here in Orange, I go there a lot to visit mm-hmm. patients anyway. You know. Right. Regularly. Right.
2: So, you took trips out, and the reason why you did that is because these are people who are on the front lines offering their lives, really. Right. I mean, you've got a, a number of people that are out there right now that we don't think a whole lot about, grocery workers and everyone else who's offering them. These are people who are actually encountering people who are coming in because they have the virus. Yeah. What did you learn when you went to the hospital?
3: As you said, uh, things becoming crystal clear. Well, you could see that with all the rain that we've had because it's the air is absolutely clear and hardly any pollution. You see the snow on the mountains and the forest. So anyway... But you know, having been a healthcare worker myself, it became clear to me that there were needs there too.
2: Now, wait—you were a healthcare worker. You mentioned this before to me privately. I don't know the, the listening audience knows this, so
3: I was a medical technologist. Okay, MTASCp to be specific. Okay, I did that for four years at Saint John's Hospital in Springfield, Illinois.
2: So you know of which you speak about the the transference of viruses one to another person.
3: Yes, I mean because what I was so I. I worked six months in hematology, which is where they could do the blood counts. Yeah. Two and a half years, I worked 11 at night to 7 in the morning at an 800 bed, 800 Catholic hospital at that time, which was a trauma center, high risk neonatal. And I would go on the floor to draw blood. I, I just did that. Yeah. So I had all that, all that firsthand experience. My mother was a nurse as well, as I think I've said. So uh, I'm very comfortable in the hospital medical uh, atmosphere. And I know the needs. I have some sense of what the needs are of healthcare workers, and especially now because so many of them, for example, will come here daily mass 6.30 in the morning and then go over to UCI. I I see that all the time. So, I mean, how could we respond in kind to the needs that they have now, being mindful of all the restrictions that we have to kind of do or be, you know. So uh, Bishop Fryer and I spoke. So he went to St. Jude's in Fullerton on Holy Saturday, and he blessed some of the workers and visited some of the floors there I went to St. Joseph's Hospital here in Orange. I know the hospital well. I'm there a lot, so I went in the chapel, had a prayer for all the all the people, the staff, and the folks that were there, and then I did that twice. That was played over the over the speaker system in the hospital, and met with some of the folks there too, wearing am and all those kind of mm-hmm. things. And, and we'll do it again, I'm we, sure.
2: <laughs> no, you, well, you said you're not going to do it. We'll even. do it again. Yeah, oh, you'll do yeah, it again I mean, sometime. Yeah. Um, we just got through talking about uh, 15 minutes ago how you are of a certain age and you have your own conditions where this would not be a good thing for you to catch. I'm not sure it's the wisest thing. Your security details, so to speak, would probably not like the idea that you would do that.
3: Well, yeah, except I wore a mask. And <laughs> I was careful and kept a distance. No, I'm 69 years old this year, next month. And I'm also, I'm a type 2 diabetic. I've been that way since 1998. So that's one of those conditions that uh, can affect you. So, But I still have... Some things I have to do, but also that's also then why I stay into a lot of things by Zoom also.
2: Yeah, Zoom has been a a real, people have discovered this. It's been a real godsend. Um, I'm personally learning how to conduct classes on Zoom. So, yes, I do understand. But you're still going into the hospitals. We have doctors who are catching this, people who know how to wear the masks. They're still getting it. This is a very, very contagious virus.
3: Well, it is. That's Part of the reason why I'm concerned about opening things up too soon, you know? Right.
2: No, and and I I get that. I mean, one of the things that I don't think our listening audience, uh, they can't see the look on your face, but when we're talking about what it's been like to have to close these things down, as you said, you've had no regrets on it, but there's almost a steely determination on your face when you're saying it. It, It's it's not an easy thing to do, despite it being the
3: right thing to do. One of the, you know, we held off on closing the churches as long as we could. By having giving close dispensation with the amount come to have smaller crowds and all that, but in the end, you have to do the right thing, and it was difficult and it was it was a challenge for me to close the churches, but I knew and this uh, be, let me be clear about this: this is not a matter of the state telling us what we have to do. I mean, yeah. there's that kind of talk right now, but it had nothing to do with that it was doing the right thing, and the bishops made this decision together you know well, and this
2: is one of the things that people need to keep in mind we 're not talking about the First Amendment rights. The, this was freely chosen by the bishops.
3: And this is not a matter of religious liberty and that kind of thing. If right. you want a good reference, to that listen to uh, Archbishop Laurie in Baltimore, who was the chairman of the bishops' committee on uh, liberty and that sort of thing. He gave a very clear message about this. He said this was not. If you want another good reference, uh, Cardinal Collins in Toronto said that gave a very similar talk. So it's. We'll stand up for what's right, absolutely, but not to conflate those two together.
2: No, and that's something that I think a lot of our people need to differentiate. There are some states where they have some pastors from non-Catholic ecclesiastical bodies that um, have kind of turned it into that, and that's not what we're doing. This, no, is, not, this is not us.
3: This is not that at all.
2: And, and in fact, uh, one of the things that should be comforting to people is that as the governors and the president and the mayor's and the health departments are all saying the same thing. So are our bishops, including bishops that have a medical background so yeah. who know better that this is something that needs to happen in order to safeguard the lives of our people. And as you've been going into the hospitals, knowing that people are, are in danger and people are dying and people are suffering and you've got people on the, on the front lines, you've got a number of people who are... Who are anxious to get back, but as you said, it's something that they really can't well, do. Well,
3: I, I am too because I, I'm anxious for Sunday mass, as I, as, I, as we've experienced, it and all those kind of things. Certainly,
2: with people being gone, I, I know that it has impacted the bottom line financially for the diocese. I know that there's been pain here too on a financial level. Are there? Special needs and, and concerns you wish that the parishioners would do more of, or do you think they're doing all that they really can do under the circumstances? Well, or?
3: I would say, you know, we have a Zoom meeting every morning at 1030 with my staff, and especially our finance department. You can be proud of, I think, that the online, some parishes already had online giving. At least one parish told me they've had no change in income because they've had online giving. And so all that's going into place now. And also I would say our annual pastoral services appeal, mm-hmm. which we do every year, is about 75% at 700%. So it's really where it should be.
2: I know that there are a number of both Protestant and Catholic uh, groups. There was a, a report that came out not long ago that I know was talked about recently on Relevant Radio. The state of the plate, I think is what they called it, for the par- parishes that pass the plate instead of the basket, but that it's way, way down for a lot of churches. Of
3: course, because we de- we depend on that, and also financially, I we have to be responsible for where we are right now. And right. Think of the. In this case, think of long term. So we've had to, and unlike not unlike other businesses, furlough a number of individuals, yeah. and to really take seriously our cash reserves and how we spend and those kind of things.
2: It is very very hard because not only are you looking at these are people who they may not be priests and nuns, they look at their lives as ministries.
3: Oh, Of course, and of it's
2: course. so hard. But that's what most are. Yeah. Well, and and that's the point though is that, that these are ministers who then are there's not other jobs really to go to. It's very hard.
3: And it, I would say then it's heroic too with our folks who were here. Some of them had to take on two jobs, two two positions, or that kind of thing. But yeah. they do it very willingly, you know.
2: Well, and that's the other side of the ministry: is that you don't do it for the money. You're right. you're doing it hopefully to be able to to make it through. But
3: and they, and they've taken on these extra responsibilities. In my experience, gladly, gratefully. And,
2: and that's something that I hope our parishioners appreciate. Uh, and the good news is, as you put it, you've got some parishes that have already. Gotten well underway into planned giving, online giving, and being able to have weekly electronic, uh, paychecks, uh, being withdrawn. Right. This is a direction that I take it the rest of the diocese is being, is moving toward.
3: We had been for some time anyway. And I might also mention we have here in the Diocese of Orange a really generous, extraordinary group of parish priests. The priests themselves, after a lot of consultation, end up taking a, a 25% reduction in their salary for six months.
2: Wow. I hope our, our, hope everyone heard that, that our priests have decided to take a voluntary 25% reduction in their salaries for six months.
3: Right. 25% for six months or 12.5% for 12 months, either, either one or the other.
2: Wow. So in other words, their yearly salary or so is going to be reduced by 12.5%. Yeah. And, a half yeah. Percent. And, and that's something that a lot of our people need to keep in mind by not going each week to church, we're in the habit of taking our envelope with us, either mail it in or find a way to give it. Or
3: or drop it by the parish offices. Even if you look out here, they put two baskets this past. And here there are these long metal things that you can put your envelope in. So those have been really filling up. So as time goes on, this is catching on and people are realizing this.
2: But this is something that we absolutely need to have. People don't realize that We've got a number of parishes where they've lost many staff members that have had to, to go on furlough. Just because they're not actually in the building because of the the close down, most of these people have been working from home. I did, it was about a week ago, we had five of uh, the heads of ministries on the air, and each one of them was in a different location Which <laughs> we were doing it. I was actually at home, too, because we were all on... Uh, Zoom, putting that radio program together, and they were all talking about all the different things that they're doing from home for the people that are in the parishes to be able to make sure that they're still doing Christ's ministry, even though they may not be there. They need that support.
3: Also, a number of our priests in places that have done this have assumed extra responsibility as well. I would tell you, in a co- at least a couple of our parishes, the priests are doing the gardening, the grass cutting, and all those kind of things, you know? Yeah,
2: and a lot of these priests that are doing that, uh, that might not be saving a lot of money, but it's enough to be able to, to make it. And, right. And, and that's the other thing is that if you are, if you call ahead, I would assume that there can parishioners volunteer for
3: some of those things. Sure they can. Sure they can. And, you know, most parishes have at least one or two people still working in the office at the present time. And our parish priest said the other day, like father Smith said here, contact us, let us know, get a hold of us, you know,
2: the lawnmower can be used by a lot of people uh, i take it that we have enough insurance to be able to cover as long as people are doing what they're supposed to be doing oh sure sure so if we have people that want to volunteer they're willing to come in we'll take your sweat equity right. we especially while it gets hotter uh it, we're willing to cover the boardings to make sure you're able to get in mm-hmm. and while you're doing that if you're able to bring your envelope along please do so we're talking with bishop kevin van the bishop for our diocese of orange And we've been talking a little bit about what it's been like to go through this series of seasons where the COVID virus has shut us down in many ways, but not the heart of Christ, not the ministry itself, and that we actually are up and running and thriving. When we come back, we've got one more segment. I want to talk a little bit about what's coming up. We've got Pentecost Pentecost has to do with the Holy Spirit coming and enlivening oh, it's the our birthday,
3: church. Birthday of the church yeah.
2: I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about that hope that's coming, not just to get out and reopen, but what it really means for Christ to be in our lives. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host with Bishop Kevin Van, and we will be right back.
0: Here's a reflection from Auxiliary Bishop Timothy Fryer of the Diocese of Orange in Southern California.
1: On Holy Thursday, one of my priest friends was texting me, just wishing me a happy Holy Thursday. And then a few hours had passed and I hadn't heard back from him. And then he wrote back, hey, sorry for the delay. I got called to a sick call and it turns out I ended up baptizing this person who is in danger of death by emergency. What a heroic thing for him to do, and yet that night I was talking with another priest friend just seeing how his day went, and he spoke of how in the midst of trying to prepare for a very different Holy Thursday and get live stream going, that he had a sick call in the morning that he went to, and then right after lunch he got called to another place and he ended up spending an hour and a half, almost two hours talking with somebody who's dying and ended up giving them emergency baptism. Two of my friends on Holy Thursday out there with the sick baptizing people in case of emergency. It just goes to show we've got great priests. They're out there caring for you. They're ready to help you. Don't be hesitant to give them a call. And if you have a chance, say thank you. They're doing great work. They're not in retreat. They're not hiding. They're out there and ministering in a new way and in some places, in emergency baptism, in old ways but let us continue to support one another and thank our priests for the good work they continue to do. God bless you.
0: For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. Or visit the Diocese of Orange Facebook page.
2: Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. Before we go any further, I want to take a moment to thank Bishop Kevin Van for being here. I don't want to forget to be able to do that. Bishop, thank you so very much for coming in and sharing some time with the listening audience out there throughout Southern California who are sheltering in place, who are trying to make the most of these last seven, eight weeks and going on into the future with however many weeks God has us shelter. Okay sharing with us a little bit about what it's been like for you and for the church that you oversee to go through these series of seasons. We've gone through Lent. We've gone through Triduum. We're in the midst of Easter. We've had the privilege of engaging in Mercy Sunday, and we are looking ahead at Pentecost to the birthday of the church, to the the anniversary of the coming of the Holy Spirit in such a dramatic way, Acts chapter 2 and all of that. What can you share with our people about the hope that Christ brings to our world, even this year?
3: Well, I always look, Pentecost is is one of my favorite days as well. It's symbolically one of the most you know you have the color of red for the Holy Spirit, and you have the great the great prayer of Spirit Creator Spiritus, which is really a beautiful prayer breaking the Holy Spirit to come. If we remember about that, that Jesus said, "I will not leave you orphans. I will send you another Paraclete, another Helper." So the coming of the Holy Spirit means, in fact, that the Lord is with us. He is, he is with us as our helper. And the Holy the coming of the Holy Spirit is about transforming our lives. Look how it changed the apostles dramatically. So Pentecost, it's the birthday of the church. It's new life, a new beginning. We are sent on mission. So it's reminding that the Lord gives us the strength that we need, especially with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, in confirmation, we have those seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. I always ask the students that. So we let's not forget we have that to be able to use that. And really, Pentecost is really a joyful day. So I think we can really look forward to that. And maybe, God willing, if some of these restrictions are eased, maybe we can have some of the sacramental celebrations that we couldn't have had earlier. We'll have to wait. And we'll
2: see. have to look to see what, that looks, like. see what that looks like. We might get creative with how that We <laughs> have to, because
3: it's not it's not, it's not, not going to be the same. It's going to be gradual, but but, it, but it's coming at some point. And I'm not, I don't know when, but...
2: The first post-resurrection communion service took place with Jesus on the road to Emmaus mm-hmm. and which uh, was the gospel, yesterday. which we just celebrated. And uh, I know I was listening to Bishop Barron uh, talk a little bit about an interpretation he saw on that, that I thought was interesting in the Adam and Eve story. We have them taking part in essentially a meal out of disobedience and their eyes were open to their shame. And here at the road to Emmaus, Jesus Christ seeks them out and they have a, a, A meal that opens their eyes. It opens their eyes, yeah. It opens their eyes to be able to see Christ amongst them.
3: That is one of my favorite gospel accounts. It's only found, of course, in St. Luke. It's beautiful, though. It teaches us, I think, I preached on that the other day, yesterday. It teaches us a couple things. First of all, again, the reality of the the resurrected Christ. He was not a phantom. He was not a figment. He really rose from the dead. Secondly, you have where that occurred. In a, in a dialogue with his disciples and friends. So those conversations and dialogues we have with one another really mean that the Lord is present in our midst. And the road to Emmaus is a journey, and that's a journey, a road that we are on now. And we know how the, the disciples' eyes were opened. We have to believe, taking that account seriously, that the Lord will help us not only be strong, but will open our eyes as well.
2: This is one of the things that we were talking earlier about. Uh, I think a lot of people sometimes of. Gonna settle into the routines of their lives and what do we really believe about Jesus Christ and how real do we really think he really was in this resurrection. Um, When I was in seminary, I remember reading several different books from people on different ends of the spectrum, so to speak. What does it mean for resurrection? A lot of it didn't mean a whole lot about what I understood resurrection to be. But one of the things that was, we were talking briefly about the Shroud of Turin, That represents that Christ really came back as a real person.
3: As a real person. And, you know, I had some of those same uh, theological uh, experts or books as you did. (laughs) And they were so done intellectual that they didn't make any sense. What is resurrection? This is terribly, how am I going to try to say this? I would thought at the time. Bluntly,
2: Bishop, bluntly.
3: Do you believe or don't you believe? Right. That's what I thought. And I think that's what some of that stuff still says.
2: Yeah. And this is where I'm a former Presbyterian and. The, the wonderful thing about Protestants is they love Jesus Christ a whole bunch. They're not wrong. They're incomplete, in my opinion. The Eucharist itself, there's a fulfillment that's there that comes, represents, because it is a representation, represents Jesus Christ, but it is also Jesus Christ. He did come, and this is our down payment, so to speak. Well,
3: and faith is not just some theological exercise no. or reflection. Even Karl Runner said the best theology is from the knees. Nice. It is a Personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just some uh, theological uh, doublespeak.
2: I like it. Was it even Carl Anyway, we won't go there. But no, he, <laughs> he
3: really, no, he, he did say that theology should be from his knees. I liked a number of yeah. things he said, you know, so. Yeah.
2: And the bottom line on that one really is if you're going to do the study, the question is are you studying a thing or are you studying, as Buber would say, a vow? Yeah.
3: And, and look at, which is on. Easter time too from John's gospel Jesus coming into the room with Thomas being there and not being not being there and being there in the end when Jesus talks to Thomas I think a more precise I've seen translation is do not be unbelieving but believe do not persist in your unbelief but believe which means surrender okay I don't understand but yes I believe and then embracing that
2: and what does Thomas do? He winds up on his knees
3: he prays my Lord my God <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: So we go to Pentecost and Pentecost has the gathering again of all of the disciples in the room and the Holy Spirit manifests in order to empower us to become that body of Christ. What does that mean?
3: Well, of course you know there are uh, when you speak about Pentecost, coming Holy Spirit, there would be two different reports of it. John Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. You know, that's. As
2: the Father sent me, so I send send you. you,
3: Yes. And then then we have the actual coming of the Holy Spirit on all of them, you know, 50 days afterwards. I mean, so it means that we're sent. It means we can be strong. Yes, we can believe. And yes, we can overcome. And God is here. And then we're sent. Faith isn't just something that we keep to ourselves, but then we, we go out.
2: Well, and that's the other thing is that we're stuck here at home. But one of the things I think people forget about are all the people that God puts in our lives just every day. Yeah. How are you, you know, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, God put them there for you. How are you doing in evangelizing them? Are you Christ to them? Are you part of their salvation or are you part of their temptation?
3: Well, I mean, <laughs> I, a little I've, of both. I've, well, when all this stuff started, I just decided to start calling people I hadn't talked to in a long time and had great conversations. And then my my brothers and I, we all try to get together, talk every weekend. In fact, when Brother Leslie just called, yeah, checking on me.
2: And I think that that's something that a lot of people forget about is that whether you're just checking in on Facebook or you're taking the time to actually make a phone call, we still have a lot of people we need to check in on. And this has been a time, a season, a set of seasons like no other where we've had the opportunity, the invitation and almost the brow beating by God to do some real reflection. What, ha- what is it like? What is it about? What is this in our, in our lives?
3: You know, life. I think for us is, very much, pretty much automatic, taking for granted, all those kind of things. I would hope that one blessing that can come from this, these challenging days is never to take all these things for granted again, whether it be the Eucharist, the Mass, or people that are around us, you know.
2: Well, and this will be an interesting thing when we come back, um, when we're looking. God willing, by the time we get to fall and we've got everyone in their Masses and they're doing things that are normal, Are we going to see the same T-shirts and the mask with the same sayings at the back? Yeah, yeah. Or are we going to have a real resurgence of what this faith is all about? One of the things that's happened in Europe, of course, has been the gradual but sure decline of the influence of faith. And what's been growing in Africa, where they have danger, where they have um, a great deal of pogroms and persecutions, they've been growing. The what we will call the global South has been growing by leaps and and bounds. Still is, yeah. And it's almost as if the more uh, struggle that you put someone through for the sake of the faith, the more they appreciate it.
3: Uh, You know, let me just speak a little bit about Italy. When we dedicated Christ Cathedral here, I made reference to the contribution or what we owe to the Italian sense of culture and art for the Christ Cathedral campus here. Look, the organ in Padua is is almost done. You know, we had to change the dedication date, but. That's from Pato in northern Italy. The stonework all comes from northern Italy. The, the fellow who did the work on the gray stone on the altar, that his name is Piero Zanella. He's a good friend of mine. His mother died in a convalescent home in Verona of all this. Well, he couldn't go to a funeral. Yeah. So it's just been devastating for Italy. at a time when the faith there has been in an ebb, you know? Yeah. Uh, so.
2: This is a time that hopefully we'll see a resurgence yes, of faith. yeah.
3: Yeah. And I'm
2: hoping that in Southern California, we're going to see a resurgence in faith, one of the things I think that are people who, especially those who've been able to listen to this broadcast or if they listen to it as a podcast and OCCatholic.com, that they will remember that their bishop has been here and has made the hard decisions because of the right decisions to make in order to safeguard, but also to empower the ministry of Jesus Christ. Under the circumstances, the best that he can, so I want to thank you on You're behalf welcome. of your church uh, bishop i don't know if I have the authority to do that, but i'm going to take it anyway and um the people do appreciate that what they really want, I think is to know, and I think you've given that to them today is that their their spiritual father here is really looking out for them and doing what a spiritual father yeah. should do
3: I, I, the, the big challenge for me is I like to be out there and be visible you know so people can see me I, that's and it's been a bit more of a challenge for me, but I do that in whatever venue I can now. You know.
2: Well, with that in mind, would you please, uh, O oh, spiritual Father, would you lead us in a sure. word of prayer and a blessing for your people?
3: Well, Almighty God, we thank you again for this new day and the beauty you have given us to inspire us and bring us life. Bless us in these Easter days in this season of new life. That the risen Lord may guide us and walk with us as on the road to Emmaus through the new life promised to us. And may Almighty God bless us and keep us, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Amen. And you've been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been Bishop Kevin Van. And let me pause for a moment. Thank you, Bishop, You're very welcome. much for coming in. You're welcome. And if you'd like to hear this or share this with uh, another parishioner, you can go to Orange County Catholic Radio, com, and go to the radio tab, and it will be up shortly for podcast. And they can hear it uh, anytime they wish. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we, of course, are praying for you. You pray for us, and may God richly bless you in this Easter season.
0: Saturday mornings are a little brighter with host Rick Howick in Orange County Catholic Radio. Here's a soundbite with a recent guest, Dr. Louise Dunn, from the New Hope Crisis Hotline.
3: It's interesting, though, that even with people that tell us that they're atheists or agnostic, sometimes we ask them if they still want us to pray for them. How many people say, I can't hurt so we still offer that. But uh, if the person makes it clear up front, they don't want that. Of course, we, we don't pressure anybody in any way.
0: Check out OC Catholic Radio, Saturday mornings at 9 on Relevant Radio. Or come find the podcast at OCCatholic.com slash radio. That's com slash radio.